Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 9, Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. You know you're in a bad place when an ungodly person is rebuking you for your unrighteousness, right? For your injustice. That's a bad place to be. And guys, listen, we need to understand the tragedy that takes place when we, the church, compromise our integrity and our witness to the unbelieving world. I think so often we value, we, we emphasize grace all the time, grace, 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 to where it starts to become cheap. And now you start living flippantly for Christ and you're like, but there's grace. And I, and I know I can be forgiven. Yes, there is grace. Yes, you can be forgiven, but don't lose sight of the fact that there are consequences to your sins. And not just in your life. When you compromise as a Christian, you hinder other people's ability to know and understand and come to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? This is a dangerous thing, guys. I don't think it's a coincidence with the condition of our country right now, how ungodly we are, how openly godless and even hostile toward the things of God we are as a nation. That As we find ourselves in this season, we're also in a season where there's so much immorality coming out in the pulpits. These amazing leaders that were thought to be these tremendous speakers and, and examples of God are living double lives and compromising this whole time. And it makes me wonder how many other pastors out there are living in sin and they haven't been, just because they haven't been caught yet. This, this filth in the church is one of the main reasons the world is so dark and ugly. Listen, guys. The church is the primary vessel through which God has chosen to reach the lost. God could do it through angels. God could send out His Holy Spirit and just work without us. God could have vision, give people visions, but He doesn't primarily do it that way. Primarily, He has designed it to use the church, you and me, to represent the love of Jesus Christ. And when we compromise, people remain lost. Is there grace for you? Yes. But who, who are you affecting out there? Who is not now understanding the love of Christ because of my compromise, because of your compromise? People out there remain in a position of judgment when we compromise. It's a serious thing. For this reason, the Bible says that judgment begins at the house of God. And if God is going to bring about true revival, He first has to clean out the church. And so I beg you guys, please don't come to Ignition and play games and go out there and and drink with your buddies and go out there and sleep around and do drugs and misrepresent Christ and then come in here and like pretend all Christianity. I don't want that. Please don't do that. I'm sorry if I'm being harsh right now, but I'm just being real with you. I'm trying to be loving with you. You need to ask this question every day. Will the actions that I'm doing, will, will the things that I am doing affect my witness for Jesus Christ? 
We need to, that should be the primary question we ask every day we get up. How will this impact my witness for Christ and the people around me? And I don't stand up here as someone who's completely perfect in this and has figured this out. I'm telling you, this is what we need to do as the church. And God, if he, if he will bring about, if He's gracious enough to bring about revival one more time before He returns, then it will have to start with a cleansing of the church. It will have to start with your holiness and my holiness. It might even be persecution that does this. But this is what God would have to do. Abraham compromised and he did something to Abimelech that, as he says, ought not to be done. And it's the same when we compromise. It ought not to be so, guys. God loves those people way too much to have us blow their perception of who Jesus is. Verse 10. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. So again, his chief concern is what? His own life, right? They're going to kill me. That's why I did this. I didn't want to die. Verse 12, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So, Cultural context there, this was more normal back then than it is. This shouldn't be... Keep this to yourself if this happened to be your story. It's not going to uh, help your witness if, if this is part of your story. Um, but he says, hey, it's, it's actually a half-truth. She's, she's my half-sister. Verse 13, And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do, you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham explains his reasoning here to Abimelech, and he says, look, this is the plan we came up with years ago. This was our, again, this is my plan A. This is like, I, I thought this was brilliant, in fact. This was going to save my skin. And it was her kindness that was going to do this for me. But we learn here, uh, he says that as, as, as we learned God was going to cause us to wander. We came up with this plan. And in this phrase, we get a little more insight as to where Abraham's heart is. The term to want, caused to wander is actually a, it carries a lot of negative connotation. So those who study the original language pointed out that there are, like, there are six words that could be used for wander. And of all of them, Abraham chose the most negative the word that is used for a drunken man who is, who is staggering. The word that is used for a sinful heart that has strayed from God. That is the wander in the original language that he is using here. And it's, it's revealing something about his perception. And in fact, it, it's an, it could be an indication that Abraham is feeling some disdain now about his call. He's, he's feeling negative about what God has now called him to and discouraged in it. But as he goes on to explain uh, himself, we kind of see a few things wrong about his perception even in this. Number one, he felt like the will of God for him was something that would put him in danger. Well, this is God's plan. Well, great. There goes my life. I better come up with a good game plan so I don't die. Like that's how he perceived God's promise to his in his life. And he also saw his wife expendable. She was someone expendable. 
well, okay, what are my resources to save my neck? Well, she's pretty good. She, I could probably uh, use her to get out of a sticky situation. It's not, very, it's not a very healthy perception of God's plan. In fact, if you go back and listen to our study on chapter 12, the signs of a call of God, we talked about eight signs, eight characteristics of a call from God. One of them was, don't be surprised when God's calling on your life is scary, has needs, because a call from God has a need for God. And God is the one who promises to fulfill and meet those needs. So if, if there's something scary in the call of God, God intends to protect and provide. Another thing we saw about a call from God is spouses are always included. God will not call you to something that your spouse is not called to. That is unless your, your wife is so ungodly that she has to be turned into a pillar of salt. We did see that last chapter. But that's, that's one minor exception to the rule. Okay, Lot, Lot and his wife are an exception. But in most cases, your spouse is included. If God wants to call you, he wants your spouse to be on board and vice versa. So God has made it clear that he intends to protect Abraham and he's made it crystal clear that Sarah is a part, a significant part of this plan. So to, to Abraham, day one, he just saw the Lord. He's, he's just now learning what it means to walk in, in the Lord and walk with the Lord. It might have seemed like a good idea at the time. But the moment he realized it was in contradiction to God's plan and promise, he needed to bail on that plan. His, his old coping mechanisms and strategies should have been kicked to the curbside as soon as he realized it wasn't conducive to his walk with the Lord. And this chapter becomes to us, guys, an example of the old plans, the old strategies that we used to, that, uh, before coming to Christ that are no longer conducive to life in Christ. For instance, man, I'm just going to have a few drinks because it helps me be a little more social and just, I'm just going to drink a little bit and that's an old strategy. You don't need alcohol to fit in or to be someone else. You don't need alcohol to alter your reality. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be confident in who Christ is calling you to be and go out and act in that, in that confidence, not the false confidence of alcohol. Well, I'm, I'm lonely and it, I, think, I think I need another boyfriend. I think it's time to get another girlfriend. No, that's, that's an old strategy that will fail you again and make more messes in your life. You need to learn how to find true companionship in Christ. You need to learn how to, try, how to find true fulfillment in Christ because only then you'll be the godly spouse that a godly man or woman will be looking for. You need Christ. Well, you know, I'm going to rush to the front so I can get in front of everybody, so I can get more than everybody. That's an old strategy. And in Christ, the first shall be last. The last shall be first. Well, I'm, I'm going to put others down so I can feel better about myself. I'm going I'm to poke and do little jabs at people so I can feel better. That's an old strategy. We are to esteem others as better than ourselves. I mean, I, we could keep on going, right? What strategies do you typically fall back on? I'm sure the Holy Spirit is more than equipped to, to help you identify these things. What ways? Maybe it's pride. Maybe you deal with insecurity and so your coping mechanism is to go into a room having to think you're better than everybody. 
because that's your only way to survive socially. That's an old strategy. That's an old coping mechanism that is not conducive to a life in Christ. And I pray the Lord reveals to you the ones that you tend to hang on to. But if we are to die to ourselves and live for Christ, then we need to allow these old strategies and mechanisms to die in order that we would walk in the newness of life. Verse 14, let's close this chapter out. It says, Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned to Sarah, his wife, to him. Verse 15, And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother, you can kind of sense the, you know, the, the sarcasm there, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your, in, uh, your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone who uh, you are vindicated. So your purity is restored. They know I didn't touch you. Here's a dowry even. So they know that you're pure. Um, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Man, the Lord loves Sarah. The Lord's like, watch out, I'm going to get this whole country, I'm going to get this whole city because of my plans for this woman. Now, as I said before, Barnhouse, a commentator, had an amazing commentary on this chapter, and he wrote out what he felt like Abraham's response should have been. And I thought it was so good it was worth repeating, so I'm going to share it with you. He says that Abraham should have said to Abimelech, Forgive me for dishonoring both you and my God. My selfish cowardice overwhelmed me, and I denied my God by fearing that he who called me could not take care of me. He is not as your gods of wood and stone. He is the God of glory. He is the living God, the creator, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He told me he would be my shield and my exceedingly great reward and the supplier of all my needs. In sinning against him, I have sinned against you. Forgive me, Abimelech. That's, that's how he should have responded, according to Barnhouse. I think, I think he's right. In fact, as I was reading that, it reminded me of Daniel. Daniel was such an amazing man of God as he dealt with the kings, as he dealt with the rulers of the land. He never, he never compromised in his relationship with the Lord. And it reminded me of that. But here, we don't see Abraham respond that way. And yet, this is just another chapter where a hero of the faith fails in the faith, where he doesn't exhibit the faith you would expect him to exhibit. And this is something interesting about this. This is one evidence that this book is authored by God, that this truly is the Word of God, because other books and mythologies, as they build up their heroes, they leave them flawless. They don't make mistakes. They don't, they don't reveal the humbling circumstances, and yet the heroes of the faith are revealed their entire stories, flaws and all. Here we see another chapter where Abraham wasn't doing the right thing, where he blew it. And I think the biggest lesson that we can take away from this chapter as we close this out, and it's the lesson we see throughout all of Scripture, guys, is that God is not looking for great people 
to accomplish great things. God is a great God who uses flawed people to accomplish great things. And that is the story of the Scriptures. All these amazing men and women of God had serious moral flaws in their stories, with the exception of a few, I would say. The Bible, and including this chapter, is the story not of our performance for God, but of God's grace in our life. God grabs Abraham and Sarah, gets them out of there, and actually blesses him, though he he deserved a rebuke, and set him back straight on his path for Abraham. I found myself praying this prayer today, Lord, deal with me like you do with Abraham. When I stray, when when I blow it, when I go into seasons of discouragement and doubt, when I start to misrepresent you, please have mercy on me. And just, just grab me and get me out of there so I don't ruin your reputation too bad, so I don't ruin the calling you have on my life too bad. Deal with me in such a way. Guys, listen, just as it is for Abraham, your, your Christianity, your relationship with God is not characterized by your ability to perform for God, but it's characterized by His willingness to forgive you. That's what characterizes our relationship with God. If your relationship with God isn't like that, if that's not how you view your relationship with God, then you have not understood the gospel and you do not know the true and living God. He is a God of grace and mercy. And the gospel is not by merit. Salvation is not by merit. It's by God's grace. And I love that this chapter ends with Abraham receiving blessing despite his decisions as he leaves and goes on his way. So I urge you, if you've been looking toward the old coping mechanisms and struggling to be encouraged in in Christ, maybe you've, you've turned to legalism. You think it's all about performing for God and earning His approval then you need to change. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about these things and turn to Christ and receive the refreshment that comes from simply receiving His forgiveness. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's pray. Father, we do just confess to You that we have fallen short, Lord. That we have not arrived. That we've walked with You in a shorter time than Abraham is, Lord God, and And we are even more prone, Lord God, to make mistakes and to wander. And so we ask that by Your mercies and grace, You would continue to have Your hand upon us. God, that You would convict us, even as David prayed, You would reveal to us our hidden faults, that we could address these things, that we could walk in holiness. God, that we could be a a pure bride for You, beautiful and spotless. That we could be channels of Your holiness, channels of Your love that are not clogged by immorality, vessels that aren't clogged by compromise in our lives, but that we could lead lives of holiness and through us would flow the love of Christ and the truth of Christ and the Gospel of Jesus. We truly desire to increase in our ability to represent You well. And as we learn from Abraham's mistakes, we thank You, God, that Your grace is right here. It's right here to scoop us up, Lord God, and to carry us back into Your will for our lives. 
And so for those of you who are, have perhaps wandered, right now I pray that they would commit themselves to you. That they would choose this moment to allow you to make things right again as they turn from their sins, as they turn from the old lives, the old relationships, the old strategies that are no longer conducive to life in Christ. May you lavish them with grace. May you even reward them as they come out of their mistakes, God. That they would turn to you this moment. And for those who've never received you, As their Savior, Lord, I pray that this moment would be the moment they would commit themselves to you, Jesus. That they would have the courage to ask you right now to be their Lord and their Savior. That they would have the boldness to turn away from the things they know you do not want in their life. And that they would have the refreshment that comes from repentance and turning away from sin. We love you. We praise you for your great love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.